Hello there. Welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Andy Narakot, who is the founder of Finding Impact, a practical resource for social entrepreneurs in the trenches, making things happen against all odds. This includes the Finding Impact podcast with weekly interviews on strategy, tactics, and practical advice on helping you build your social enterprise, as well as his newsletter. Andy, a consultant with a background in international development focusing on sanitation, has quite the interesting background. So reaching out to him, I wanted to ask about his workflows, his fields of interest, and everything in between. We talked about the dark times, how he discovered Rome research, and how he's been taking notes before discovering this tool. Then we moved on to his workflows on how he uses Rome for work, as well as a personal knowledge management system, and going straight into the field of sanitation and international development, as well as social entrepreneurship. We talked about the meaning of impact. How do you find it in any business that you do? Which is when I got a little bit riled up when we started talking about philanthropy and its flaws, introducing something else that is much more effective, and shooting ideas on content to be made and advocating for different ways of doing good, and imagining a public graph for global development. What is the architecture behind it? How do you visualize the graph? What kind of information should be put in? And much more. On the pursuit of looking for more public graphs to look forward to in the future, sanitation as a public Rome graph is something I never would have expected, but I would love to see. I would love to welcome such a graph and just be blown away by what is needed in terms of sanitation all around the world. So without further ado, let's dive into my chat with Andy Narakot of FindingImpact.com. Mr. Andy Narakot, welcome to Rome FM. How are you doing? Hi, Norm. I'm good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and it's a pleasure to be here. I have been a listener for a while and an avid Rome list, uh, player, I guess you would call it, because I feel like it's a game. Um, it's just so much fun and enjoyable. So um, yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. No worries. Yeah, no, I was recommended. I reached out to you uh, from uh, Michael Ashcroft. That's right. Who, That's right. We have Michael to thank. Yeah. So Michael, if you're listening, thank you so much uh, for, you know, taking your time to connect the both of us. So I really do appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I'm going to hold on to that phrase of calling it a game because it seems so fun. Because have you ever had a note-taking app that is fun? I feel like most note-taking apps, when they're brought up, they tend to serve a certain desire that we have. As in, you have this information workflow that you want to capture, all this knowledge, etc. So it's sort of this like compulsive desire to want to capture, mm. synthesize, and, and try to make sense out of what you've just observed. But in Rome, I feel like whatever you put in there, it's fun because you want to find out what will happen if you put it in there. Yeah. The mystery wanna- of the connections. And you and it's I feel like it's the game because it's about making connections. You know, yeah. it's like wow when you get when you make a new connection unexpectedly, it's it's a lot of wow moment, isn't it? Because you're just saying wow, what if I do this? And I just did that the other day with something like, like I just linked the word art, mm. and it just blew my mind. I was like wow, <laughs> but I undid it very quickly because it referenced art as in part of a word like yeah. um, heart as well. But anyway, I feel like it's a game because it, it, uh, it allows so much ease and serendipity and um, it's just different to how work used to be. So I, I use Rome for work and I enjoy just putting my work down on paper mm-hmm. and it feels fun and it feels like a game. It's like, yeah, just, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's I've seen on Notion they've been game of you know there's been some people who've been gamifying it and stuff, and I've got nothing like that. But it just feels so easy and you know free flowing that it I just likened it to a game. Yeah, yeah, and of course every single person who's using Rome Research is a player in their own graph as they are growing it over time. 
and you've just touched on it. I've actually just wanted to really ask about the dark times before you stumbled into the tool <laughs> room. So before you found fun in note taking, uh, really, what were you what were you up to? Like, what were you working on and how were you capturing information beforehand uh, until you found this tool? Yeah, so I had um, I had the, an epiphany of digital note-taking app. Like, if you th- think about her key moments in my evolution of where I am now, hmm. um, and I think it was in around 2011 where I was stacking up exercise books, um, you know, with notes that I would go into meetings and work and jot down like the person I'm meeting and the time and then just scribble notes and actions and to-dos, turn the page and I'd never see it again. I'd never, uh-huh. well, I might go back to and refer to something maybe in the next meeting, but I would just have a stack of notepads and I have still have them somewhere, I think. <laughs> and I just, I just got so annoyed and I'd leave my laptop on the desk you know, in the office and I'd go into a meeting and I'd take my exercise book and then I'd have to do this sort of transfer of information. From my, and it was just so inefficient. And I just thought, you know what? And that, and I think I came across Evernote. So Evernote for me was the first uh, tool I used, digital note-taking app. And I just thought, nah, sod it. I'm going to go into a ne- my next meeting with my laptop. Ooh, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is like the first one in my office, I think, to do that. They thought, who is this guy, this upstart bringing his laptop into the meeting? And I just started punching out notes. And actually, it was quicker for me than writing. So I'd got to that stage. Um, and that was, yeah, that was, it was like 10 years ago. And, uh, and I've been using Evernote to some degree um, in some form or another until about, I'd say, December 2019, this last year. And I probably had about, nearly close to two or 3,000 notes in my Evernote, which oh my was all goodness. original. Not so much saved from the internet, more of my notes. And I just think I read an article one day that said, do you ever wonder why you save all those notes and you never revisit them again? <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's me. <laughs> uh, and actually... So now we're talking about it. I want to, I did pull up my first note. Everyone's got to do this, right? When is your first note? Cause you can yeah. sort on the, on the, um, all pages link. You can say, when is your first note? And for me, it was 2019. Do you want to, do you want to know what it says? December 26, yes, 2019. There must've been, uh, you know, expansive thinking around Christmas time. It says one, it says four words found Rome on Twitter. <laughs> that's it and i didn't come back to it from <laughs> and that was it i didn't come back to it till january the 8th when i started work okay and i went back to my laptop and i was you know and, I, and actually um no and then tw- january the 7th or something is like the first day of the work year and i looked at what i wrote and it was all a bit sort of i'm doing this now and i'm doing that and i was playing around with um making backlinks but january the 8th I wrote down this and let me read it to you. I'm heavily into Rome, which feels like it has profoundly improved how I work and create things. It's a method for working and writing of original thought. It feels like a habit that can effortlessly help with writing blogs or organizing my thoughts. And that was like the first thing, first thought I had when re- when really using it for like the second day. Wait, so from... January 7th. So you're playing, okay, first block, which I would really want to call this the Genesis block, which is Genesis the, very, block. First, right, the very first ever block you've ever made on you know, the date and whatever you wrote in. I like how it's just four words. That's just fantastic. Found Rome on Twitter. Found Rome on Twitter. That's <laughs> And January 7th, you started work year, logging in tasks, generally just it was recording tasks, what's happening. Yeah. Yep. Just what's happening throughout work and 8th was the actual written down epiphany that Rome is probably going to be a big part of your life. Mm. Mm, interesting. Okay. I like this. It was because, all for work. It was uh, all okay. for work. So I wasn't, I wasn't a heavy um, journaler or, you know, um, or note taker actually at that stage or on content that I received. So this is around about the time uh, when I came into, you know, the building a second brain uh, universe. And yeah, I was just using it for work. So I was thinking like, you know, 
I got up at this time. I did a coffee break here. You know, I was like documenting my day so I could keep track of what I was doing for, for work purposes. And then I was doing some learning about Rome and how it's working and, mm. um, and then just like logging different articles I'd come across on the web and a couple of things. Um, but it was all scrappy, very scrappy. And, and, you know, and it's taken a little bit of time to sort of get my workflow down. So do you have your workflow down now or like, cause this is, this is, we're looking at Does notes anyone? from January. <laughs> oh no, not anyway. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, whenever we ask that question, it's always in this point in time, do you feel comfortable with your system now? Most of the time mm. we would say no, but there's always a few people who would say yes, mainly because in that moment in time, it's enough. Like mm. the, the, the supply of all the information that they've observed and therefore trying to capture is currently being kept up with their current system. And only until either we're consuming too much or we're paying too much attention to things around us that we can't keep up with that, that the system fails or the system can't even, you know, compute smaller pieces of information that we can observe. But most of the time that rarely ever happens. I think that only happens is like very like, in the beginning when you're learning the tool. But with Rome, it's quite forgiving because even with scrappy blocks or scrappy notes, you can still make use of them. Like I've mm. made use of my, I've made use of my scrappy notes in the very beginning when I started Rome. And it's normally just like an article link and then a quick summary and then metadata tagging in the very beginning. Mm. Uh, and then I found out that months later, I hated metadata tagging. It was pretty useless. And then I switched systems that way, but I could still use it. I could still reuse those blocks, which is uh, pretty uh, insane. So Wait. do you still, oh, you don't, so now it's expanded to beyond work, right? Now it's like learning and notes to a certain degree. Yeah. So I use uh, Rome for two uh, purposes. One yeah. is work, all of my work, and the other is personal knowledge management. Okay. Um yeah, and a bit of sort of uh, procedures and sort of habit tracking, morning routine, that sort of stuff, so like templates, uh, checklists, I guess. Um, but so when you were saying, are you comfortable with your system? I think I am for work. Oh, okay. Like until my work changes, which is, you know, possible, because um, I'm a consultant, I do, um, I sat on my own business, and I do, I'm a, I'm a one man solopreneur, like, so, you know, charging out time for money, but on the side, trying to have aspirations of, um, of creating, you know, a, uh, a, a product, information products, you know, one day online courses, that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, majority of my time, like six to eight hours a day, I'm doing consulting work and I have a routine of, but I do the same thing, which is basically going into meetings, um, and, do, and dealing with emails and can, and reading information like on email or on websites to do with work. So Rome actually works quite well for that because when I go into a meeting, I have a great text expander, which is like forward slash CNs, like my, all my notes, uh, all of the agenda points I want for meetings, like who's on the call, hmm. um, you know, attendees, and I'll have them all noted and uh, standing agenda items. Yeah. Um, and I'll have, you know, actions from this meeting and then finished. Um, and I might have like three or four or five of hours of meetings a day. So oh all of my notes from those are coming out and, uh, and I'll just sort of, yeah. So there's that. And then I'll, and then I'll deal with emails and I'll write the emails in Rome and I'll, and I'll put important emails that I've sent and received in Rome as well. And I wish there was a simple way to do that, but I'm mm. just copying and pasting. And, um, what I can do at any time when I'm going into a meeting is now click on that project filter by either project note or call note. And I, well, it's normally call note and by the person maybe. And then I've just got just a complete access to all of the information there. And then, I mean, it's just incredibly transformed how I can go into meetings and be, and actually seem intelligent, which is a new <laughs> thing for me. I mean, when you're in meetings four to five hours a day, I think seem or acting mm. or looking intelligent seems to be, uh, it, it's going to be one of the things that will keep you up for, for each and every day to make you actually uh, uh, worth being there. Because it sounds like four to five hours of meetings is that's just exhausting. 
Like, yeah. I mean, with with something, I mean, with Rome, it's a lot more bearable when you have it in front of you. But I don't know. Do you get like overload when it comes to doing a lot of? I'm assuming these tend to be very high intense consulting work, like four to five hours, um, with Rome in front of you. No, no, no. So not just too much. Like, I don't say like like deliver presentations, things like that. I'm part of ah, teams, okay. so I'm I'm like a, a freelancer, part of a, a sort of extra person within a, a team of a big organization. So um, I may be a team member. I may be listening. There mm. may be a webinar that I've that I'm attending, and I'll be taking notes. And actually, when it's recorded, I'll come back and take uh, pull out notes and insights from those recordings. Uh, sometimes I record um, meetings and transcribe and then take meeting notes of really important ones and bring that into robe um but yeah it's not so intense so i'm not completely fried by the end of the day oh okay yeah no it's just just the thought of being on zoom or any video conferencing software uh not to not to bash zoom in any way i I love zoom because almost all of Rome, rome fm interviews are on zoom um it's just became get pretty overloaded just being in front of the laptop all day uh even if rome is there as well the lack of a distinction between why are we in front of our laptops or why are we in front of our computers uh <laughs> makes it difficult uh which is why i have a different device just to access uh rome so yeah no the the thing is with this you have your work system already done already comfortable it seems to be doing everything perfectly fine but on the other side you said that you use Rome for personal knowledge management so i'm curious about maybe not only the workflow of what you capture but actually what fields are you capturing all the time like what are the different interests that you know make you point your eyes towards and make you think oh i want that in my room because i think it'll be useful for a future me to look at later on uh <laughs> So what topics am I uh, capturing stuff on? I mean, so first of all, I just want to caveat everything I say is that my system is basically broken because I consume way too much information. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and actually the processing is just, (laughs) I have in my routine, you know, I said like habit tracking at the start of the day, I have targets of two two evergreen notes a day, Mm. five tweets, and... um, what what was the other one? Uh, set like triaging um, stuff I've captured, like at least doing something with it, like uh, tagging tagging it, or you know. So, and I have a long list. It's ridiculous. I have this yeah. long resonance calendar that I usually I stole from Ali, and then uh, tree of knowledge and all this sort of stuff. Um, I, but what I've lately come to, and this, and look, you know, no one has it down i think this is a continual (laughs) evolution so i keep i think how many times a day when i say when i have all the time in the world that i'm gonna do this you know it's it's just not and i I read that brilliant article today from another one from commonplace was it commonplace that was talking about the whole problem with um you know consuming way too much information it was a referencing a I think uh, I saw that. I'm not sure where is it from. Let me try and find it. Was, it's re- referencing Tiago's theory of constraints. Um, commonplace. Yeah, he, he Cedric Chin. Uh, there's talks, that whole thing about too many incoming cars will cause a traffic jam. And, you know, you just got to slow down the number of cars that go through your bottleneck. And the bottleneck in my system is just processing those notes. Which really sucks because there's so many good, so much good information out there, and I want to make use of it all. But I want to at least stick it in my evergreen notes and have it in my knowledge tree. But it's just impossible. Yeah, but you, you still have to reduce that bottleneck, though. I mean, there's a difference between good and relevant. Since you mm. you want to have either like a really fast, high touch system, if something captures your attention, write it immediately and then put it in Rome and then you can leave it for later. At least that's how I do it to delay mm. the bottlenecking, um, which is why I would use a different yeah. app to actually capture it before okay. I sit down and like yeah. start So everything processing. goes into Instapaper. Everything goes into mm. Instapaper if I'm consuming. Yeah. Um, and all the highlights go into Readwise, yeah. um, along with any book I'm reading. And I'm not reading that much, but the book is intentional on types of the information I want to consume. That goes into Readwise. Um, and all the other stuff, you know, like um, 
whatever. Um, and then Freedwise automatically syncs and goes into this, um, which brings it into my writing inbox, which is the whole, uh, it's a mishmash of everyone's, this thing that was shoes, shoe armies, uh, writing inbox. And then, um, that's where it's, that's where the bottleneck is. I mean, I've got this long list of stuff that I've, that have come in through there and it's just yeah. waiting to be processed into lit notes and then permanent notes. I've got this whole Zettelkasten aspiration, which doesn't yeah. seem to work. But is it is it too rigid for you? I feel like it is, isn't it? Because there's there's a difference between capturing everything that is so interesting that you want to put it into your room, and actually finding value out of that activity. Because I, I'm starting to realize this for myself. I'm not trying to call you out or anything like that. It's just that there there's been a recent. Uh, I mean, I've seen this on Twitter recently. People have been finding calm in deleting everything on their pocket or their Insta paper. Just a whole hard reset, no. <laughs> <laughs> which is insane, right? It's, it's insane at first. And then I realized just how calm or serene that would be because maybe we have this sudden hit of dopamine that hits us when we're like, oh, this is interesting. Click, right? Save mm. and nothing more. And the pursuit of becoming more intellectually engaged with just either the headline or knowing the author is really good. So you just want to save that article for later. And it's more than enough for us to save that to, you know, Instapaper or somewhere else thinking that future us would want to process it for later on. It's kind mm. of, it's, it's quite future dependent. And I'm worried about that because mm. it, it, that's, that's, there's a lot of assumptions behind it. Like, would, like as if we will process that later on. Like Rome will not help us process things. Rome helps us visualize the notes that we put in so that we process it. It was mm. a big distinction, actually. Uh, Ali Abdal brought it up in our episode because he couldn't, he, he wasn't really finding the value behind the linking and the possibilities of Rome research when he was trying it out the first time. Mm -hmm. So there's that distinction between what do you do with this tool and what does the tool provide you? It's, anyway, all these intricacies yeah, no. of Rome is Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I enjoyed that distinction as well because I listened to it. Um, uh, but, then, but his point about units of output, right, that's got to guide what you use it for. Like, what, are you, what is the whole purpose? Mm. And, you know, and you're right. You know, what am I using this? What am I capturing all this information for? It's like this compulsive, you know, just yeah. a, uh, behavior to just yeah. hoard everything. But what's <laughs> it for? You know, and you've got to ask yourself that. And for me, uh, I want to start, I want to create, right? I want to just produce more writing. And then eventually I get to understand signals of what information that I have that is inf interesting and useful and value to an audience I'm creating. I have my own newsletter. Um, I have my podcast. Um, and I, you know, I want to continue to find signals of what, you know, this spike of like, yeah, that's interesting, Andy, what you've got, what you're saying there is interesting. So then it's less about what's coming in. It's about what already I know about. Most of the stuff mm. I consume, which I'm really, uh, this is a recent realization when I look at all of the information is I'm learning about content creation, which is ridiculous without even doing the con create, content creation, you know, I'm building a business <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. It's like, it's like time out. Like, what am I interested in? What, are, what information do I want to consume to help me uh, do what, you know, to reach my goals essentially. Yeah. So it's this sort of passive um, consumption of information because it fires that dopamine compared to the intentional consumption of information that will help me reach my goals. And that's the pivot I need to work on. Well, let's, let's touch on that then. Maybe not on the passive consumption to reach this intended goal, but the goal itself. So since you did bring up your newsletter and your podcast, you know that I'm going to be talking about Finding Impact, which is a very, first of all, amazing SEO for uh, a name. So props <laughs> to you for that. Amazing, amazing name for a website, findingimpact.com, uh, which cool. if I can get the tagline correct, it's on 
social entrepreneurship or making impact uh, through your business is like around uh, that yes. umbrella, which is actually something I'm quite personally interested in because social entrepreneurship has always been something that I have been following since mm, 2016 after meeting a few social entrepreneurs who's, who've done like a couple of talks here uh, in Malaysia and hearing their stories and how they've you know, really redefined their metrics of success to add this either this karmic element or this impact that is measured, mm. like measured impact. So fascinating to me. So here's a question for you. Why finding impact? What was the story behind you starting up findingimpact.com? Mm. Yeah, good question. So, so I'm in this international development space, right? Which is actually, you know, it's a career in helping, you know, lift people out of poverty in, in emerging markets, um, and my specialism is in water and sanitation. Um, uh, I'm the toilet guy amongst in my co- in my colleagues, which isn't the best title in the world, but it doesn't matter. I love it. You know, it's my calling. And in fact, my dad was a um, had a, a toilet business, so I'm like a, a second generation sanitation entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. So anyway, I but you know when I was in this, this world of international development, which is all, um, to do with, you know, philanthropy and donor money and doing projects in, you know, poor communities around the world, I saw there was a problem with projects. Uh, projects had an end date and, uh, you know, the, the, the people who had come to give, uh, at all best intentions had come to give help to poorer communities would disappear in a plume of smoke in their big land cruiser and um, communities would, you know, stuff would break down and they're like, oh, what, what happened to those um, people? You know? So I came to the realization that business makes so much more sense. Like business, I understand business. It, it's, you know, it's uh, capitalism has uh, propelled us into you know, all heights of, uh, you know, uh, standards of living that we haven't never even imagined. Um, it's got to be able to work in low, you know, low income communities. So, uh, why can't we do the same, try and do the same, improve people's lives, but through business. And that can be in anywhere, like in the poorest community where you, someone will, uh, you know, set up a business repairing water pumps compared to, you know, anywhere else. Um, so, my, I, when I was working in as, for an NGO, I helped set up a, a sanitation business in a poor community in Ghana. And, you know, people who had never had in-home sanitation before were suddenly um, being served with an affordable in-home toilet that didn't have to do all the plumbing and the infrastructure and stuff that they would rely on for government. And we, we created this. So it was like a business response to this huge challenge. And I, you know, that really opened my eyes for, yeah. for what is the, the um, possibilities of business. So fast forward, like I think I did that in sort of 2013, sort of 2015, fast forward to 2018. And I just thought, you know, I see all this possibilities of, um, of tech. Let's see uh, how I can help these social entrepreneurs by having tons of conversations in a podcast and, and helping and, you know, distill these insights from these conversations to bring these sort of, guidelines and lessons that can help other social entrepreneurs around the world build these businesses. So that's, that was the, that was the whole thing around finding impact. I love that. Like, I love that so much. I mean, I have nowhere near the same amount of experience as you do. The most that I have is these exact same conversations, like very similar conversations, the, uh, a contact, well, I mean, I wouldn't call him a contact anymore. I call him a friend is a social entrepreneur in Uganda, owns a passion fruit farm and employs uh, women who are in either poor living conditions or are in unfortunate conditions and they have to start working. And through them working through the farm, they got enough money to either go back into education or start their own business. So these second order effects allow them to contribute back to society and allow them to start up their own life independently like from you know other shall we say other factors that may negatively harm or impact their growth like like these are you know little girls who were forced out of school because they didn't have any money or those who Mm. came out because of 
early pregnancy or um uh women who were thrown out of the house or like you know many different situations and him hearing his story first of all i didn't know about social entrepreneurship before then until i i met him um him hearing his story made me realize just how good business can be like good like there's the the moral good the moral definition of good and business uh, how it how it can like how it can be together and how it can combine and you have these amazing examples so i honestly mm. like i really do appreciate that you are making these conversations like having well, it out there well but no no i mean i'm just sort of closer to the cold face i guess closer to the area of impact but what you could say is that you're helping people right education yeah. uh, having those conversations having one to many conversations are uh, build it, you know, you don't know you're touching the lives of many social entrepreneurs or anyone who are doing very impactful work. Mm-hmm. And it's not that everyone can be on the sort of front line and be right up close to people who are in need and suffering and being able to sort of hand something on the plate to them. I think we're all part of a big system. And as long as you are helping other people, you're providing, you're being, you're demonstrating good behavior. You're demonstrating good, good behavior. I mean, you're not in this like, Secretly in the back of my mind, your mind going, you know, I want to make loads of money. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that's no one's like that, really. You know, yeah. I think you just want to help people, and eventually you'll be able to make a living out of it. But yeah, I think if you have that sort of general mindset of I want to help people, I want to do, I want to do good work, then I think that is impactful as any. And in mm. fact, many NGOs who do this life-saving work actually can do more harm than good. Because they can set back old behaviors that, uh, you know, behaviors that have been passed down through generations and uh, yeah. stopped as a result of the good intentions of NGOs and things. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can be a bit too much, like after observing that, that I would think good intentions can be taken advantage of, even if under the guise of trying to help a social cause or trying to help an underprivileged community and all of a sudden NGO. I'm not sure how they would do it. Like they can either be really good or well-intentioned or they can be, they can seem good, but their methods aren't as helpful as we hope them Mm. to be. Although that is a, yeah, that's the whole other issue for another thing. But I'm actually curious about this. With Rome coming into the picture, how has Rome helped with growing Finding Impact? Um. So first of all, I think that Rome has enormous potential to global development, right? Just, mm. I mean, just in the academic field about being able to make more connections and pulling in learnings from one field to another. I mean, it's huge. I mean, can you, one big public graph of tons of different databases, you know, you can imagine that happening in the future. And, and because I think, who was it who said, um, I think it was who said there's, there's only ignorance and ineptitude. Uh, Atul Gawande. Look, see, I've just stuck it into, I've just put Atul Gawande, Atul, in ignorance into Rome, and I've got their quote. <laughs> Atul Gawande talks about why we fail. One is ignorance. Humans don't know something yet. And the other is um, ineptitude, where we don't have the knowledge, but we fail because we, we don't have access to it or we don't apply it correctly. Now, I think Rome is helping solve that problem of the second one ineptitude where we have the knowledge but we just don't have access to it i mean it's huge what i think you know of what it means for um just improving the world in certain ways um does that does that resonate at all yeah no i would think that the overall mission behind finding impact is to aid in this like necessity like there's this huge need in raising or increasing access for information concerning global development in the form of one either one giant public graph or at least cater for collaborations or at least multiplayer graphs between people who are involved in global development and actually have those shareable to have those in public or to have those be so serendipitous that they can create something where people, all of us can understand and reduce ineptitude uh, as a whole. I'm, I really want to see that actually, uh, 
more and more public graphs because I did this uh, recent Twitter thread on like mm. a whole variety of public graphs that I would love to see. And that was from like a 2 a.m. vomit of ideas yeah. that I just threw uh, into Twitter. But to take it more seriously, to cover a field like global development, before Rome, even bringing up that question sounds almost impossible because mm. it sounds like let's rebuild Wikipedia for a global development and then put it in there. <laughs> right? It's just like that. It, let, let's just do that. Right. And even just bring that up as a joke, people would just be so discouraged because there's, I mean, and you can probably chime in on this. There are so many nuances and there are so many like region specific factors. I'm not sure if it's from like logistics and maybe even culture or uh, perceptions of, you know, people coming in actually helping or NGOs or images of impressions of different brands and companies. You know, there's so many different things that add to, can we help tackle this social cause? Yes, mm. no, or yes with some side effects or yes with some implications. Mm. Like we, we don't mm. know. It's so, it's so gray. And mm. I hope that a public graph to lay down the field, like make it all equal in terms of access to information and the most, no, well, not only access to information, but also accuracy uh, and or transparency uh, in, from, in, in, in information would be fantastic for anyone who wants to dive into social entrepreneurship or just really wanting to make an impact in business. That'll be fantastic to see. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Yeah. So that sort of, access to all of the knowledge of what's uh, worked before and uh, gives people a real head start to make do some real good in the world. Yeah, that, that needs to happen. Um, but I went back to your question. You said, how has Rome improved finding impact? Yes. Um, to be honest with you, not much yet. Because I'm, I'm in a kind of crossroads with finding impact. Um, and this is a little bit of learning that I think other, other people can... Um, can maybe relate to or build off. So I started a podcast that with the goal of helping social entrepreneurs grow their business and grow their impact. So I decided to have loads of conversations with loads of people. I was doing that. I was speak as Michael, uh, Michael Ashcroft said, when I chatted with him, he said, you were speaking into the void. I wasn't mm. hearing anything back. It was silence. Um, occasionally I would hear someone saying, yeah, appreciate your, your episode, but you know, moving on to other things. I didn't hear any resonance at all. And I think that's what creators need to look for. They need to find when stuff really engages, it either gets likes, retweets, um, spikes, search engine, well, it, it, it spreads. That's when you know you're onto something. And 129 episodes are recorded and I didn't get any of that. Mm. Barely any of that. I mean, it, I anecdotally heard it was useful to some people. So, I've decided to stop podcasting for a while. Um, I'm actually now feeding everything into my newsletter and just throwing out a bunch of uh, stuff that interests me in improving my writing and trying to sort of going back to first principles of seeing what resonates with people before I then go into a podcast or then uh, build a product or whatever. So I'm kind of uh, at a crossroads at the moment. And where would you want to go? Or do you have any visions of like finding impact in the future? Would it, because we were talking about before, we were talking about things like information products or courses or something mm. along those lines. So my assumption is that if you'd want to make this either sustainable or grow on its own with something a little bit more premium, you'd have that on the sidelines as like a project to put into Rome. But I mean, from newsletter is always the best way to do this to like test these ideas because these people are willing to put in their email and they're willing to receive emails from you so they're willing to like read and click on stuff that you've sent them so uh, i'm really curious about this uh now that you're at the crossroads and you've got the podcast on pause and you have the newsletter ongoing are you going to entertain like a new medium or trying out new ideas over time I will. I will. But I, for, first of all, I want to get a direction. I want to get a direction okay. in terms of a topic, right? Finding impact for me has always been about trying to Im improve everyone's ability to be more impactful in the world. Oh my God. It's a minefield though. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much science out there. There's so much like one person says yes. Another person says no, you know, so I'm trying what I, I have ambitions of trying to distill that information 
and make it usable. So I'm going to be putting it out onto my newsletter, putting it out onto Twitter and seeing what resonates, seeing if something gets picked up. I don't want it to be pushed though. I don't want it to say you should do this because that's mm. what most of philanthropy is, I think, or charity messaging. It's like give money because you should care. Um, I, don't, <laughs> oh, and I don't want to do... I, yeah. Well, it is. It's emotional porn, really. I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It is like... It's it's tough. And, and people give money because it because of emotions, not because of evidence of what works. Yeah. And this is a big problem. There's a, a field of effective philanthropy, which really looks, takes an economic analysis of yeah. the, yeah, the, the, the field of doing good and uh, helps people put their money where, where the right, uh, where, where the economists say you get the most bang for your buck and save the most lives. And that is the kind of rigor I want to bring into the public consciousness. Maybe finding impact is the the tool for that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a big problem with with the first part, which is philanthropy as a way to pull emotions to get people to donate. That's a huge like thing that I generally, actually, honestly, it angers me at some points. Um, yeah, because with well intentions, we're all just trying to push towards tackling a certain cause or you know trying to help a certain uh certain community or you know underprivileged individuals and all of a sudden there are these tips and tricks and tactics to try to provoke people emotionally to compel them to give money to you not about the result or not about the output it's like guilt tripping or it's these like you know, crazy provocative videos or these images. That's not what philanthropy is about. Like philanthropy is the the willingness to provide resources to a cause, knowing that it will help said cause. Like mm. if it wasn't really helping it, then you're not really you're not really you're not really being philanthropic. You're just donating out of your own desire to donate. Like it it, it it's insane and. I, I'm really happy that you brought up effective philanthropy because that that I wish that field is shared more. Like I want to see a public graph of effective philanthropy, probably paired with effective altruism, because that's probably there's a lot of overlap in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I wish that was more prevalent in the world of NGOs and philanthropy than standard philanthropy, because to me, sometimes philanthropy looks like a scam. Yeah, and yeah, I, it does, and I, and I hate it. <laughs> I know. Well, so maybe that is the mission of finding impact. It's like it to change be. that that yeah. discourse. But is there enough in? You know, is there? I mean, I love your reaction, right? That makes me so angry. Maybe yeah. if I can tap into that. About everyone has been in that situation where they've gone down the street or whatever, and it says, "Oh, please give to this poor, poor oh, starving God. African or whatever." You know, yeah. that's it's just a it's stereotypes. I mean, it's really doing bad. Um, to sending bad messages and it's, and it's, yeah, it's just blackmail. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. educating people um, maybe is the mission, um, but is there enough demand? I don't know. Um, when you say demand, do you mean, do you mean a market of listenerships and readerships or do you yes. mean like potential like financials wise? Oh, okay. Do you mean readership? Yeah, or is, readership. It like is there enough people interested in this? To be to give give everyone the mm. tools to understand a that it's just their emotions that they're appealing to and you, and actually using logic when donating or you know doing good in the world or whatever. I don't know. It's a big it's a big field. Yeah, uh, yeah it is. It's also. <laughs> hmm. I feel like I cannot answer that because I might be completely wrong. I could say like, oh, there's not enough, right? Because my I have I have certain assumptions where the ones who would be interested in reading would be ones who have preconceived notions of what donating charity and philanthropy are, and these are heavily connected to to emotions related to gift, like mm. the 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 earning like the earn the what's what's the word for it the the happiness or the gratitude behind giving or exactly towards right. that. And that's sensitive, right? You, you don't yeah. want that to be challenged by rational, right. 
numbers that tell you, oh, you're not as effective in philanthropy as you think. You know, like so I'm, not, I'm not saying that you would want to be, I'm not saying you should be clickbaity or anything like that, but I'm, it's even if we harbor a very warm, neutral voice in explaining these things, like for example, like donating to the blue vests that are waiting outside your train station are, is not really as effective in helping these uh, as you think because of all the costs, or maybe if you would rather want to see the impact and you should go to these, you know, following NGOs or something like that. Sure. Um, you might have to think of like a CTA or like a call to action to either a product or something more exclusive because mm. when it's something more exclusive, the assumption that can potentially be brought up there, although you may have to test this, is that can this exclusive piece of content help me give more good to people? Yeah. Right? Your field right now is the field of good. You're marketing goodwill. You're marketing for philanthropy or a different definition of philanthropy. You're marketing with altruism, with donating, with charity. So all the audiences that are involved in these fields are, I want to read things that make me feel good. And I want to read things that will help me be a better person, be a good, a gooder person, a more... Mm -hmm philanthropic, charitable person. What is the best way to do that? So that's when you can start thinking about like, oh, do you want like a guides on charity or like guides to donating or signs to know if this NGO is actually a really good, effective NGO, etc. So there's that. But then you have your email list. So maybe that's the best way to reach out to people. And then you capture the responses in Rome and you make the references and you think like, okay, what, what are the connections here and there? I think that's mm. like one of the best ways to do that. Cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is. It's a. It's a tricky. It's a tricky area. <laughs> yeah, no, but I. Re I really want. I really want you to tackle that. Like genuinely, genuinely want you to tackle that. Like effective philanthropy. It, it's so. Oh, I, I really want to shout that out to other people so uh room cult if you are uh if you are listening Please, to this cult. uh send, and me a, send me a sign <laughs> if you are interested in philanthropy or doing something good or if you want to really know more about whether or not your decisions have some level of impact because in the end all of these are different they, they are synonyms for impact through the lens of either business or at least an entity that actually has formality behind it. Normally that's mm. a business because it has a model, right? There's a demand, there's a supply, there's a transaction, and there's an intended output. This intended output has second order effects. It'll help the community. It'll help the economy, something along those lines, right? So yeah, this also mapping that out in, yeah, my mapping that out in Rome is a whole other story uh, altogether. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an interesting question though. Have you ever started have you tried talking about Rome or pitching Rome to others in the same field as you? Um, so I had a really interesting uh, encounter the other day. So someone in my network who's was in the water and sanitation space, uh, who's, you know, we're connected on Twitter. We've seen each other, met each other several times. And I was, he was like, what is all this Rome stuff? You know? So I said, Hey, <laughs> let me show you. <laughs> so I did a walkthrough yeah. and it was incredible. It was incredible. He was he, the, the wow moment for him was just so extreme. I mean, he actually wrote me later and said that he couldn't sleep. He literally was working late. He would try to go to sleep. He stayed up thinking about Rome and he got back up at like five o'clock in the morning to, to get back to Rome. I mean, that is an extreme response to, mm to using it. And he's an academic, he's kind of an academic, you know, that I've had, um, I think he's in that sort of, uh, ac academia field and sort of running projects within academia. I think just anecdotally from those I've spoken to that the whole sort of personal knowledge management and Rome could have huge benefits to, um, academics who are solving some big challenges or doing research. Um, you know, just to be able to, to do the, 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 I think time is of, uh, is one of the constraints, but Hey, Nicholas Luhmann of, uh, smart notes fame, uh, <laughs> who was one of the most prolific academics has obviously something to share about that. And I think with these digital tools, I think, yeah, I can, it can really improve, um, academia in some ways. And I have ambitions to do this. I, I yeah. think 
Um, I'll let tell you in a little secret. No, don't tell anyone. Okay. Sure. Um, that as soon as I, I heard like this massive valuation for Rome, I was like, right. I went out and bought a bunch of domain names. <laughs> <laughs> one of them, one of them was Rome for academics. <laughs> oh, okay. Dot, dot com, right? So, you know, maybe one day I'll create a guide uh, for academics to sort of ease them into Rome. I don't know. Should totally go for it, right? These these <laughs> are like these are information products. I can pretty pretty sure you can do something along those lines, and and also these are also very necessary because we have the I don't know if you know the uh, academic roaming community as well. This full of uh, those in academia and PhDs who are working on their thesis right now or. or currently researching something as well so they're sharing tips and tricks uh, while within Rome so this huge huge user base in academia who wants to learn more about Rome because they have this intended intended output of I'm I want to accelerate my knowledge or my information capture workflow of whatever I'm working on right now and I think Rome is there to help me but I'm either too busy like you said or it just looks intimidating because it does mm-hmm. actually at first glance. I mean, you have this like huge hashtag Rome cult thing and everyone's talking about Rome, but they're not really explaining what it actually is, which is uh, something that we should tackle uh, sooner or later. Uh, mm. So Connor, if you're listening, we really need to work on that marketing thing. Anyway, putting that aside. Um, <laughs> so, so you got multiple domain names? Like, yeah, okay. yeah, multiple. Yeah, so I, you know, one day maybe I'll... Uh, I mean, I'd like to, I mean, I think I could, I mean, I've, you know, teach what you know, that whole concept. I've been investing a whole ton of time in, in teaching Rome. And I know Nat Eliasson has come out with the, you know, the gold standard and courses, but we're still hearing that notion courses are still blossoming up everywhere that have specific use cases for, you know, for different people and different uses. I think the same is for Rome. I mean, if I can have someone who could onboard me into using Rome for work rather than me having to work it out over six months, I'd pay for that. (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, the most common use is uh, personal knowledge management, right? But there's so many more use cases for it that, um, you know, and we're only, you know, the beachhead market that has come to Rome is just the, you know, techie people who are techie. I mean, these sort of square brackets that, that frightened the hell out of me when I yeah. came in, I'm not a techie person, you know, so, and it's, it is quite this markdown. What the hell is markdown? I had yeah. no idea what markdown was before Rome. So I think there's a, there's a job to be done to, to do that translation, Rome terminology to English uh, work that I think I could do. And uh, I think others could do too, you know, for, for creatives, for, academics for i don't know if anyone else consultants um uh, fitness gurus i don't know could be that's actually quite possible because you can probably track your fitness metrics and probably all your coach and coaching students and all that interesting here's one thing though you are in the i'm not sure of the proper name for the field sanitation field mm-hmm. or if that if that's right is there something that you want to tackle in that field using rome mm. is there like a like a problem that the average person may not know in the field of sanitation that is going on right now that that you're thinking about at the moment and it's maybe something that that you really want to tackle in the future but now that you have rome it's a possibility uh in the future well i think yes but definitely because yeah. in the rome in the field of sanitation right there's like billions of people still don't have safe sanitation in the world. Um, you know, the tried and tested solution around the world is sewers, highly inefficient, very wasteful, you know, flush your toilet with drinking water. Um, it's t- silly. Um, the rest of the world, you know, don't have the money for that. Uh, so what is the solution? You know, Bill Gates is, is working on this kind of thing. Um, you know, reinventing the toilet so it doesn't have to connect to sewers. But there's other ways. There's, you know, the manual process of pit latrines, hole in the ground and trucks and people emptying it. Very messy job. But that is the current alternative for non-sewers uh, alternatives. So 
and it's and it's not uh, it's not promoted by many governments because it of its inefficiency. They they just want sewers uh, because it's unsafe. To, you know, it's not safe in certain at the in its current format. There's a hell of a lot of knowledge out there about what has worked in different cities to make it safe, safe sanitation with the non-sewered approach. Right. Ah. Okay. And, and it's a massive, massive challenge. Uh, and cities all over the world are still struggling with this huge challenge. So there's pockets of in, pockets of success. Now, can Rome map out all those pockets of sex, success and the and the characteristics of success, and you know use it to to help those people who are promoting safe sanitation around the world and helping governments in, you know adopt safe sanitation practices to help you know and governments to teach themselves you know what is what is the playbook for non-sewer sanitation in my city and there's a bunch of so much knowledge out there that's what academics have been doing for years so you know that's that's the big challenge i think that rome can help us wow okay so i mean i I can visualize it now like a public graph like (laughs) rome sanitation or if i'm going to be pretty crude rome toilet Right or something <laughs> along those lines, like Rome number two, or I don't know something. Anyway, right, or even the, something about how the Romans had sewers a long time ago. Well, yeah, they, there's they like the, sanitation. Along. Yeah, the, the the Roman word for sewers, you can probably call it that. Um, I think a public graph of that would be fantastic, especially when, especially if it's translated into English as well. So not only for academic use, but also just for anyone who is interested in learning about sanitation. Mm. And its use cases and or its differences in different regions and countries and cities all around the world for academic use, especially when you want to, you know, cross-reference different use cases and you think like, okay, it's worked here in Europe, but how can I translate that success into, say, Northern Africa or, you know, somewhere else, uh, like a rural village where the logistics-wise it's difficult to bring, you know, this model in. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've seen a few other alternative toilets or sewage systems in like smart cities conferences but even then can we bring that over to somewhere else or another city or small town that's a whole other story altogether i i would love to see that out there like i think the best way would be to get 10 experts to like in the same sanitation field put them together have like amazing markdown formatted files import them into rome and then you just have this really long zoom call of what should be a page what shouldn't be a page and then you agree you disagree and you have discussions and you collect that transcript the transcription for that discussion you leave it in there so more and more people as they visit the public graph they will be like oh okay this is what's happening in the world of sanitation and this is what's working and now that graph will be used as a reference for when you want to implement something in any part of the world. I would love to see that happen in the future. I think that would be fantastic. Like, mm. oh, wow. That would be really cool. I agree cool. with you. I mean, and yeah. that can be applied to any big, you know, hairy problem that the mm. world is trying to solve. You have a big public graph where everyone can contribute. Um, and this whole idea of like translating into English as well, this is um, something I've, you know, bugbear of mine of, you know, academics and uh others quite like technical language. Yeah, anyone does in any organization, they use technical language. So there's kind of jargon and other people don't understand. So there's a process of translation to common. So I could see, you know, different layers of the graph, um, you know, the top layer being open, no, the bottom layer sort of being the expert nerd level, you know, the very yeah. technical language, they were really deep in the weeds. And then the next level up could be, sort of everyone in the sector, you know, who are not so in the weeds that you are and, you know, it's sort of a sector wide translation. And then finally, the sort of not simple, but the sort of public accessible language could be at the top. And it's just a process of note-taking and distillation that can really reduce these very big concepts and very difficult to grasp, um, you know, words and concepts into simple terminology. I mean, that's that's another use case. Yeah, you'd have to do like a huge index page on the side and get people to start there 
And from there, you can easily guide them to, if you are not really familiar with the field, here's a good place to start. And then from there, you just mm. link them towards pretty safe, easy to understand language pages, which can prime them for the field. And if mm. they want to, then they can dive further in into like level two, which is like the middle. Okay, I, I, honestly, that's that's very possible. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know oh. how the the formatting of all the use cases all around the world are for the different cities. I'm assuming they are mostly PDFs or just huge blocks of text, uh, and or yeah, economic journals and articles. Yeah. Mostly PDFs. Oh, PDFs. Oh, yeah, the, the bane of my existence. Uh, you're gonna have to mm-hmm. iframe a lot of it. Uh, for for reference just to put it in there and in case people want to download the pdfs as well oh okay right maybe that's something that you can tackle because then you would make yourself be the at the helm of the field of sanitation through the angle of rome so that's like two fronts you're you're spreading the use case of rome of rome and you're helping aggregating all of the field, uh, all of the knowledge and sanitation. Maybe that's an angle that you can pursue right there. I'm not sure if you're going to put it under finding impact, but mm. maybe a, a whole other brand name altogether or just under your name. Like I think people know you already. So yeah. there's, there's so much I want to do. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> I think maybe Elon is going to, Elon Musk is going to be setting up a cloning business one day. That'd be great. I mean, we, I need three of me to do all of the things I want to do in Rome. Um, that That's the next ch- problem to challenge, uh, challenge to problem. Problem to challenge. Oh, my brain is going fuzzy. Sorry. <laughs> it's late. It's okay. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is. It is quite late. And we've just had a really long, detailed, emotional, broad conversation <laughs> on a variety of things. So uh, forgive us for having fuzzy brains right now. And yeah, I, I really do appreciate this. So coming up uh, on time, I might as well close this off and uh, you know later on leave you to your own uh, devices in thinking about Rome sanitation or whatever you're going to call the graph uh, in the future because I am looking forward to that. I honestly am looking forward to that. I want to have my mind blown about the world of sanitation and not you know, have preconceptions of what it, that field is. But end this off with a couple of segments. The first one being, how would you describe Rome to someone who hasn't started using it yet? Ooh. Um, okay. So I think I did this recently because uh, I can't remember how I came into that guy. But I think, so I would... I'd say, so I talk about units of knowledge, right? So Rome enables you to break down units of knowledge and have a place to store them and a place to use them and connect them with lots of other units of knowledge. I think I think we have to sort of get beyond it's a note-taking app or anything like that. I mean, it solves that purpose. Um, how would I describe it to someone else who would say it's a way of thinking and without using your brain or no, without relying on your brain. It's like a, a crutch for your brain uh, to allow you to do some great thinking, store that great thinking and process that thinking at a later time. Um, yeah, that's what I would. Okay. And the next question is, what does Rome mean to you? Well, it means, um, <clears throat> what does it mean to me? Mm. It means, it means a better self. It means a better me. Um, I'm able to be a better person because it's not like any other note-taking app. It's, it, as I said before, and we're coming full circle here, it is effortless. And I like that because it's making me a better person without with effortless, effortlessly making me a better person. And yeah, that's what it means to me. It's part of my life now, honestly, from morning to evening. First thing I open up, last thing I, I uh, do when I put the laptop down. 
So it's, uh, it's revolutionary. Revolutionary. I like that. And a bonus question for you, since you have made a finding impact, since you have made findingimpact.com on the pursuit of finding impact, I'm just curious, how would you answer this question? What does impact or sorry, what is your definition of impact? That is such a hard word. I know it's a, it's an overused word. My definition of impact. Oh no, I don't think I've ever defined this. This is crazy. <laughs> Maybe if Rome is a unit of knowledge, impact is a unit of good. Mm. Mm. And what is good? You can. I think in my context, impact is doing good in the world, being con- positive to the world and not negative additive rather than subtractive. So it's putting, making the world a better place rather than the opposite. Fantastic. I love that. And of course we have our own definitions of impact, but you have your impact right there uh, with your name on findingimpact.com. Andy, thank you so much for this. I honestly genuinely, I really want you to like pursue all of this, especially the effective philanthropy one, like, huge personal vested interest in that if we want to contact you or reach out to you about anything that we talked about in this conversation what is the best way to do that well findingimpact.com and um you know join my newsletter list because i'm not active on my blog very much i'm uh, working on it at the moment but i'm I, i share my newsletter every other week and um i encourage you to and also reach out to me on twitter as well andy narracott um, I would appreciate that. Norm, thanks so much. It's been really good. I've enjoyed this conversation. It's been amazing. And, and <laughs> Thank you. you know, kudos to you with what you're doing. I'm a big podcasting fan too. And uh, man, you're a great interviewer. So thanks very much. No worries. Thank you so much. And I will see you on Twitter. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.